Are we going to do the five, four, three, two, one? Is that what we want to do? <laughs> <laughs> I always love to hear. Welcome to Products no. and Grace, a no. podcast by this Mercy Hill Church. This is different. We have a surprise. What have you surprise. done? Uh, five, four. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Five, four. Always laughing and loving, discerning and discussing, while keeping our vision in focus. Every Friday, who are they? They are products of grace. Welcome to the Products of Grace show. Today, we have a special guest with us, Dr. (laughs) Josh Howard. Mm. So Josh, we have... um, been working on a fun podcast idea, like a spinoff, if you will, of the Products of Grace. And today we're going to reference the Products of Grace podcast as the Products of Grace show. Because if you have a guest on, you <laughs> actually a have a show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like and what we just missed out on is the executive producer and I, Peanut Butter King, have put <clears> together, <throat> he has worked feverishly to get this intro ready. So we have fresh <laughs> intro music. It's, it's awesome. Just wait. I really, I really I mean, like our intro music. They have already heard it. It's so it. meta. It is. It's so meta. So I've listened to so it. So I online. have to just wait until yeah. Friday. Yes. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I told Jacob this is going to be so, one of the most fun part would be taking him out at the knees when I say him. Literally. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, we had this fun 90% podcast. of me being on the show just vanished. No, it didn't. It did. You're here. Your whole self is here. All right. All right. So we had a fun podcast idea to do a spinoff. And it was going to be a spinoff around people calling in to ask, like, provide what ails them, like symptoms, if you will. And so it's like, what if I'm running a 99.7 fever? I have a little tummy ache. You know, like, what do you think I have? And so today, given the fact that we have the good doctor on the podcast with us. No. We wanted to cover a couple of these symptomatics. I think uh, Jill Biden kind of split that difference between the doctor and the doctor, didn't she? Uh, did she? <laughs> did she? <laughs> That's been in the national conversation. Yeah, so. so I was telling Jacob this, like trying to run this material on Jacob's our producer, and he goes, wait, is he a real doctor? Yeah. No. <laughs> and I go, hold on. I said, yeah, bro, he's a real doctor. And he goes, you know what I mean? And he was searching for, like, how do you determine between the doctor and the doctor? Right. And I go, bro, he's not an MD, but he is a real doctor. He's a PhD. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's your great hope to, like, be the guy on the plane and they're looking for one. <laughs> I studied systematic theology and I'm here to I help. I can help. <laughs> Clear the path. So... Meanwhile, someone's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yes, I'm a doctor. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. So anyways, Repeat. he is a real doctor. He right. is a PhD. Where did you get your PhD from? Midwestern Baptist. Okay. So I have internet Who did skills. you study under? Uh, Owen Strain and Jason Keyes. Oh, yeah? But mainly Owen Strain. Yep. Nice. So I have I was trying Who skills. has a book coming out, too, by the way? Who does? I'll, I'll give him a... Owen? A shout out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Owen just is uh, finishing up one. Cool. Yep. Sorry. Stop it. I didn't do anything. <laughs> so I have internet skills? <laughs> you see what I'm reaching? The audience can't see, but they know what I'm doing. I'm grabbing the power. <laughs> so I have internet skills. And so here's what I know about you. Oh, no. Okay. 
think you're from Arkansas. Ish. Yeah. You graduated from Arkansas. I did. You're a Razorback fan. Yes, sir. Um, you used to be a Memphis police officer. Yes, sir. These are interesting facts. Did they you know this, Lawson? These are yes, all facts. I knew, I knew all of these Okay, things. so what do you mean I by actually know you? Him. You know, part of our bit in the past has been, who do you think you are? Okay. So just a brief snippet. So are you from Arkansas? No? Kind of. Well, I mean, I was born in Arkansas. We, we moved to Ohio when I was six weeks old. Oh. So I grew up in, in Northeast Ohio, which is where all my family's migrated to in years, past, in years since. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I lived in Ohio for 10 years, came back to Arkansas. And so I spent a lot of time in Arkansas. Okay. It's, it's kind of home. So normally at this church, I don't really ever have conversations around sports. Me either. It's one of my favorite things about this church. Mm. But <laughs> the Razorbacks are in the Elite Eight. Oh, they are indeed. And I'm excited. Yeah, you should be. I don't have cable, so I called the fellow member, a buddy of mine, with five seconds to go in the game, and he FaceTimed me and flipped it around so I could <laughs> nice. finish watching the game. Yep. <laughs> Down to the buzzer beater, yep. the missed shot. I watched it with my kids. Did you so run out of email addresses to like? I did. did. And now, TV? so now I'm in this. I'm in this issue where it's like, it's almost like pay per view. Is it worth <laughs> one month subscription to watch the next game? And then they'll probably lose. They'll probably lose. Oh, they'll probably lose. But I think it's on CBS. So we have rabbit ears. Oh, and the rabbit ears work. I, I totally, totally forgot, forgot about those that. Existed. Yeah, they they totally, and now they're like digital rabbit ears. Wow! And so it's like high definition. Yeah, it it works. I mean, when you can get it. What do you? What's the setup? What do you need? Oh, it's just like a coaxial plug in, and then the you back. run, and then you run something outside the house. Well, you for can. It? You can get like the big, you know, yeah, rooftop yeah, setup. Big... I've just got the little bunny ears on the side of the TV, uh-huh. like you know, nineteen eighties style. This may be the thing. Oh yeah, because Julie's always wanting to watch the weather. <laughs> So it's oh, they've got the weather storm. on it. Well, in all yeah. fairness, we've had three storms that are like, "Hey, we're going to kill your, you and your whole family in your house tonight." Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's we? That sounds like a mafia that's running the storm system. We the the tornado <laughs> systems. What's his name from Action News Five? <laughs> Respecting uh, the polygons. Yeah, him. Who I do love. Yeah. All right. So the other day I was in the grocery store. That's how I saw it was on a Sunday, and I saw this buddy of mine. You were the grocery store on Sunday. I did. I'm not a Sabbatarian. So I was looking across the uh, way and I saw him coming and I was like getting behind one of the, I don't know, one of the displays. You were hiding? I was hiding with my basket. (laughs) (laughs) So he comes around the corner and I ram his basket with my basket. His face was the ugliest face. (laughs) He was going to kill you. He was was going to kill kill me. (laughs) And I go, I go, you better watch yourself. It's Sunday. How dare you think those nasty thoughts about me? He he looks at me. He starts laughing. So then later on at the grocery store, he he sees Julie pushing our cart and rams Oh no, he hit Julie? (laughs) Yes. And Julie was like... <laughs> but it's so true because the grocery store is one of the most aggressive places it's that terrible you go place. into. Like you're going on offense, yeah, for sure, the whole time. Mm. I don't understand. Like we didn't do anything to plant anything in there. We're all there. Just, I mean, nobody has any ownership over anything. Why do you think, Lawson, that you go in there so aggressively? I don't know. It's the same reason I get in the car aggressively. I got somewhere to be, and I don't want to be there the whole day. Oh, interesting. The grocery store is like the same thing as the interstate. It is. Yeah. That's fair. So, Blake, you can get more groceries now. Can't you? Did you get yes! a new car? Did you get a new car? I did. Was it a Mercedes Benz? No. Was it a dream car? Yes. Whose dream car is it? Sweet Sarah's. Wait, so you didn't put her in a minivan? No. What'd so, you put her in? Uh, a Subaru Ascent. We went to the store, the car store, 
looking for a minivan. And it happened. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but it was glorious. Sarah, Sarah saw it. And I was like, oh, it's over with now. Uh, she didn't think she could get it. We got it. She just like looks at it and smiles. Was the bow on the car before you got there? No, they put the, it's kind of a. Carmax thing? Yeah, like they put the bow on it after it's a done deal. Mm. And you don't get to keep the bow. Like it's the same bow for all the cars. Oh, sad. They drop it on there and they're like, we'll take your picture. And they're like, now we're going to take the bow back. Was it a good buying experience? Yeah. Did you like it? You enjoyed it? It was the best car buying experience. Was there any I've haggling involved? No. So that's the thing about CarMax is they don't uh, let you. Okay. And they had mislabeled the car. And so we took a picture. So I guess it was kind of like haggling. They mislabeled the car. We took a picture of the price which was cheaper than it was online. And they said, oh, we have to value that. And so hey. the Lord was gracious. Good, good. All right, so normally we ask ourselves, or Lawson asks me, so Don, what are we doing today? So Don, what are we doing today? Uh, what Leave are we going to do today it. is Dr. Josh is here with us, and we are going to crack open his brain. Can we refer talk to him about... as Dr. Josh the rest of the time? Yeah, that's, he's the okay, good I'm doctor. Please don't. The no, this is what's Howard. happening. This, this, this <laughs> is the thread that will run the entire <laughs> this show. This is the thread. <laughs> <laughs> the good doctor is with us today. And <laughs> I had heard that your thesis was on, what was the name of your thesis paper? Yeah, it was uh, the es- an eschatology of satanic exorcism in this age. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that just... Nailbiter. That just washes all over me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's warm or cold. <laughs> uh, so what are we doing today? We are going to talk about eschatology, but uh, before we begin, I always have an idiom oh, no. that we kick off with. So with that, gentlemen... Blood is thicker than water. You know, I was thinking about this the other day that blood <laughs> is thicker than water, and I don't Wait. think anybody's ever I don't think anybody's ever covered this before, and this I think is original to me, that this this is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And oh, so yeah. I have y'all ever heard this before? Like I I I you know, we're often like quoting other people yeah. that quote other people. Yeah. And so when you lose the lineage of who it belongs to, you can just, what do you call that? You co-opt it? I think that's called plagiarism. <laughs> Is it? That's a nicer word. But it's for just, it. just out, it's out in the... Public domain? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Should we give anything on it? Uh, or just let it sit? I think we let it sit because okay. I think that's going to be hilarious when he hears it. <laughs> <laughs> Strike at the ego. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so... If Are I was to say, yeah, I'm out. Blake's I'm out. out. Okay. If it's I was topical to s- too. Easter's coming. Yeah. Mm. Very topical. If I was to say that someone had the following: the mark of the beast, seen the dragon, witnessed the rider on the white horse, and fought in Armageddon, what biblical theology might one be studying? Eschatology. Eschatology. Mm. So again, going back to is the the knowledge of eschatology rooted in the book of? There's one book of the Bible specifically that we think of. Is it plural or singular, Josh? Revelation? Yes. Man, we're in the South. So it's, it's like it's Walmart. Like, yeah, it's like Kroger's. Yeah, it's Revelations. Why, why do people, pl- why do people I don't make know. it plural? It's Aldi that's the worst, though. Aldi's. Aldi's. Bro, people say yes. Aldi's? I don't, but some people do. I had someone, we were at Aldi, and someone said, here's my Aldi's basket. And I was like, what? What? My Aldi's basket? Because you like trade, it's, like it's like a culture. You trade it. Yeah. What do you mean you trade it? Because you pay a quarter mm-hmm. for it. 
and when you check out, they have one already there. So they put your stuff in it, and you give your basket to the cashier oh, and take their basket. I'm not familiar with the system of Aldi. So you can get your quarterback. It's a great system. It saves you hundreds of dollars. Kid yeah, you not. It really Indeed. does. Hmm. All anyway, right. sometimes so the book is slow. singular. The book yes. is singular. Who is who is it a revelation of? It's in the first verse. This, these are two pet peeves of mine. They ha- has to be singular. And then John uh, John records that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ right. early in the book of Revelation. So uh, I think what's really at the heart of most uh, debate is uh, the millennium. Yeah, is that fair? It's a millennium. Like that's really the raging debate. When is the millennium? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's how the major you know views are kind of yeah. usually mm-hmm. diced and inside up. of pre mill. You have the debate of pre trib, post trib. Right. Yeah. So where in Revelation do believers encounter the reality of the millennium? Chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. I love it. All right. So specifically, what is a millennium? Oh, well, this is a very, this is the question. Yeah, pretty much. This is, isn't it? It's it. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's either a thousand years, a literal thousand years, or it is a figurative time frame in which all those things will come to fruition. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the and I would also add. So when you you know we mentioned the the different millennial views, and you have premillennialists, you know, is, is is one of the major views, especially in like you know evangelical circles. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, of premillennial thought um, that used to just be referred to as as kiliasm, because the the word they're used in the Greek. If I can nerd out just oh. for just for a second, mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll stop nerding out. But the word there in the Greek is I think it's kilia ete. Um, mm-hmm. That's where you get that phrase the millennium. And so those who thought that would take place in a literal earthly format used to be just referred to as kiliasts. Hmm. So you had kiliasts and non-kiliasts. And hmm. then that, that, you know, kind of evolved over time. Hmm. So there's four major, and there may be other, I think there can be some fringe views, obviously, but four major uh, biblical theological interpretations. Do we want to cover those four? Do we know those by heart? Or do you want me to give them to us? What would it be? Dispensational premillennialism, historical premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism? Yep. Let's tackle first and foremost dispensational premillennialism. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to self admit like what view we hold now, or do we want to wait? I I didn't have a view until I held to amillennialism. I was you, the pan mill guy. Same, same. Or long, long standing amillennial. I think I grew up in a church that was pretty premill, but I have come to amillennialism. Yeah, me too. Same. I grew up in a church that was yeah. heavy pre, probably dispensational pre. Yeah, dispensational yeah. pre. Yeah, which which is a really important distinction. It, it is. is. Yeah, which is now that I look back on it, <laughs> super weird. Honestly, I would pay money for you as your current self <laughs> to, to meet sit my under, past self. No, to sit under <laughs> dispensational preaching. Oh, I couldn't do it. It would be ugly. This man would walk out. His whole body be red as he walked oh, out the door. Kids, get in the car. We've got to correct that. <laughs> 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 All right, so let's tease out what is the major views within dispensational premillennialist. Yeah, um, you, you guys jump in. Yeah. So, so with dispensationalism, I think one of the the kind of key defining factors is is how they view the relationship of Israel and the church. Hmm. Um, so, dispensationals would say, you know, Israel is in no way the church. Um, you know, there may be some foreshadowings and stuff like that, but these are two different entities within God's God's redemptive plan. So dispensational premillennialism then is looking for uh, Christ to return and set up pre-millennium, mm-hmm. to set up an earthly, literal fulfillment of the, the kingdom, which will be a fulfillment of the kingdom to Israel. Mm-hmm. So the national Israel of the Old Testament will then experience kind of 
the fruition of all these promises, the completion of everything that God had promised when Christ returns and sets up this earthly millennial reign. That 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 that's gonna be one of the main the main differences between it and historic though is is that view of Israel and the church and what promises are coming coming true. Hey, so let me ask you a question on that because dispensational premillennialists tend to kind of go back and forth on the nature of the phrase in this way all Israel will be saved. Right. Would from from what you've studied, would you say that the vast majority of dispensational premillennialists believe that all of national Israel will be saved, or they'll just be like a great ingathering? Man, it's hard to talk about what what so most. So it'll be the hundred and forty four thousand specifically within that millennial reign, correct? That will be saved out of Israel. That's the distinction. Well, the hundred and forty four thousand. It, 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 it's a little what you're talking about lost in Romans 11 right yeah, all yeah, Israel yeah. will be mm-hmm. saved it's it's but that's it's, an eschatological promise is what the dispensationalist would hold to it is yeah the, the problem with dispensational premillennialism right now is that a lot of modern dispensational premillennials don't sound and I don't mean this like disrespectfully but they don't sound anything like dispensational premillennials did 50 years ago yeah that's fair so if you look back at like his I would say just like classic dispensational premillennialism like the guys in the 1950s um trying to think of the guy's name right now and it's slipping hey. me um but in any case when you look at the guys now uh they, they don't sound as dogmatic about a lot of those issues Ryrie? well yeah Ryrie, but but there was there was a guy wolf walverd mm. uh, w-a-l-v-o-o-r-d yeah so walverd i think he was out of dts and in, in texas Always. wrote a lot of articles back in the 50s if you read him and bounce that off modern day guys um very different but they're yeah. both they're both Premillennial dispensational. Yeah. So the two distinct points I have here, based on this source, it says uh, that just like what you covered, Israel and the church, uh, they view the church and Israel as two distinct entities with two individual redemptive plans. Right. Then we have the rapture of the church. The church is raptured before a seven-year tribulation, which they draw out of Daniel 9. This tribulation period contains the reign of the Antichrist. And then in the millennium, Christ will return at the end of the great tribulation to institute a thousand-year rule from a holy city, city the New Jerusalem, those who come to believe in Christ during the 70th week of Daniel, including the 144,000 Jews, and survive will go on to populate the earth during this time. Those who were raptured or raised previous to the tribulation period will reign with Christ over the millennial population. Yep. Fair? Yep, fair. And I, I would say, too, with the rapture part, a, a lot of people will kind of, and you didn't really say this, but like a lot of people will say, well, dispensational premillennials believe in a rapture, amillennial and postmillennial don't believe yeah, in a rapture. And that's that's kind of a, yeah, that's kind okay. of a confusion of terms. Mm-hmm. I call it a secret rapture yeah, is what absolutely. they believe in. Um, so as again, not trying to like smear their views or anything, but as best as I understand it, it's a rapture in which Christians are secretly caught up, yeah. you know, left behind. Mm-hmm. If I can, you know, coin the yeah. phrase, and their clothes are left folded and right. everything, and then humanity keeps going on <laughs> after right. the fact. Right? How old are you, Josh? <laughs> Way older than I look. 30, so I'm. Uh, so how old are you? Thirty-seven. Okay, well, so I'm 41, but I think you and I both grew up in the gen- in the generation Absolutely. where that was a big entertainment of Huge. the Christian culture propagated. Yeah, yeah. yeah left behind. They so, showed it in churches. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up with that, and that's really what informed my thinking. Absolutely. So anyway, sorry, I just want to interject that. Yeah, no, I got those images, and they stuck with you, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you remembered those long after you'd been studying the biblical text, unfortunately. You remember the images from the movie. That's right. scene. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of people were at with it, I think. But yeah, just, just the difference between a secret rapture, which is... Again, the dispensational premillennial camp, I would say, believes in a secret rapture versus my view, for example, which is that when the rapture does occur and we meet Christ in the air, we're meeting to return or we're meeting a returning victorious king mm. and every eye will see. There's mm-hmm. no secrecy about it. Right. And it, it is when he inaugur- or consummates everything that he's begun. That's right. So, 
Um, any other points of problematic with the uh, distinction that we just went over, that view? And I just want to bring up, don't they believe that there will be a rebuilding of the temple, a reinstitution of That's essentially... Levitical animal sacrifices? And isn't there an idea around like the red heifer and some things mm. have to be reinstitutionalized. Yeah, reinstitutionalized. Is there some truth the to rebu- that? The I, rebuilding of the physical temple, right? For for like a Zionist at least approach. with the classical guys that yeah. I was talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some of the modern guys might say, well, it's not a, a literal third temple, but most guys, I <laughs> which would is think, really yes. inconsistent hermeneutic. Then it's a, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because because again, one of the one of the things about the dispensationals, they would say that they're going to a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic yeah exactly so if it's literal if we can make it literal we want to make it literal would be their argument Mm. um and that's why they would go with the third temple yeah which is a huge sticking point for a lot of us which it should be because the reinstitution of sacrificial system would be blasphemy yeah yeah Yeah. it contradicts ephesians 2 ephesians or 3 hebrews hebrew the whole book i'm just thinking about any he abolished the laws oh, as yeah, expressed yeah. in yeah, ordinances yeah, through the fulfillment, through yeah, the I mean, sacrifice of the cross. To me, the concept of offering blood for the forgiveness of sins when Christ's blood has already been shed is like his blood was not sufficient. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... Now, if you read a couple of the the guys, I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate, but just like okay. to be fair, though, like to, if you read a couple, uh, a lot of those guys that will argue for that viewpoint of the third temple being reinstituted, they'll say, well, it's not for the actual atoning for sin, which is good because that's the yeah. New Testament makes that clear yeah, yeah. in multiple places. But they'll say, but it's a... Uh, it's a spiritual kind of acknowledgement. The same way as in we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance mm-hmm. of Christ, we're doing these animal sacrifices in remembrance of what he's done. Um, I would just argue, I mean, you guys have already made the argument, but it's a return to types and shadows. Yeah. You're returning to the type yeah, and shadow that. and pointed toward the substance. And if the substance is here, a return to that would... Yeah, because Hebrews 10 makes it clear that all of those things were shadows and what we have now is the substance. And so going back to the substance is just... Yeah. Going back to the shadow would be really foolish. Absolutely. So inside dispensational premillennial uh, view, you guys already touched on it. The favored method of interpretation is strict literal. So moving on to historical premillennialist, mm-hmm. do we want to I'd love to hear your thoughts that? on this yeah, one because this too. is the one that I'd, I'd have trouble. And I've got a definition if you want me to read the definition first right. and then we can jump in. Please do. Sure All do. right. So historical premillennialists place the return of Christ just before the millennium and just after a time of great apostasy and tribulation. After the millennium, Satan will be loosed and Gog and Magog will rise against the kingdom of God. This will be immediately followed by the final judgment. While similar in some respects to the dispensational variety in that they hold to Christ's return being previous the establish, uh, excuse me, the establishment of a thousand-year earthly reign, Historical premillennialism differs in significant ways, notably in their method of interpreting Scripture, which follows as such. It says, number one, favored method of interpretation is grammatico-historical. Yep. Number two, Israel and the church. The church is the fulfillment of Israel. Number three, kingdom of God present, though, uh, excuse me, present through the Spirit since Pentecost to be experienced by sight during the millennium after Christ's return. The rapture, the saints living and dead shall meet the Lord in the clouds immediately preceding the millennial reign. And the millennium, Christ will return to institute a thousand-year reign on earth. The millennium will see the reestablishment of temple worship and sacrifice as a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. Hmm. That's a mouthful. They did clarify at the end of that one that it's a remembrance of Christ's right. sacrifice. Yeah. Any distinction there? What made you go, hmm? Well, I, was, I, I just haven't heard that. I know a couple guys that are classic, uh, or I mean historical premillennials, and I've never heard the temple argument from them. So hmm. that made me, huh? 
Um, I'm trying to think of some. I've never known. So on that, I've yeah. never known anyone who claimed to be a historic pre-mill that has said we will reinstitute the temple and essentially the temple age of sacrifice. And I right. understand even if they want to go with the route of, well, it's not actually offering for sin. I, I still have never heard any of them articulated in that way. Right. But that's the strange thing about eschatology is it seems as though a lot of people grab bag. Yeah. Or it evolves over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess for me, the, the distinction I wanted to hear was what's the difference between biblical interpretation of strict literal and then the between grammatico historical mm. is, is there you want to tackle that well so correct me if i'm wrong grammatical historical is is prioritizes a literal trans a, a literal interpretation of everything that you read it prioritizes that it assumes it first and then it goes into maybe a deeper aspect if if it is really affirmed. I think one of the easiest ways to see this may be in our understanding of the Old and New Testament shadows and types. So, for instance, a grammatical historical interpretation would say, oh, they're only shadows and type if they're explicitly referenced. Right. And so, for instance, um, all right, let's take Hebrews. Hebrews says, well, the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away sin. And so then we understand that Christ is the one who sacrificed once for all. They would say, oh, that's clearly. Then we know that the Old Testament is shadows and types. But we would also take the other... um, interpretation would be the grammatical redemptive, like uh, that we want to understand the meta narrative of scripture. And we believe that there is a spiritual meaning behind the historical interpretation. It's not that we throw the historical away. It's that we embrace the historical and believe that the spirit is doing something that is, that is deeper than just restore, just recording a historical account. Um, And so I think like Noah's Ark, for instance, like we look at Noah's Ark and we see, Okay, in Noah's Ark, we see certainly God deliver people um, through this this means of um, means of an ark being built. But we also see that there's water around it that's waging war against it, that's trying to crush it, but knowing that Noah and his family will not be touched by any water. And we say, oh, well, that's a picture of Christ. Now, obviously, we have a correlation to that in First Peter. But we would say that that thread runs throughout the entirety of Scripture because mm-hmm. Jesus says that he began, or Jesus says he's talking with these disciples on the road to Dema- Emmaus. Damascus um, says, in beginning with the law and the prophets, he explained all that all that was in the scriptures con- concerning him. Right, and we don't assume that that's only rare points, but we would ex- assume that they are rather explicit and frequent. And and one of the reasons, so like dispensationalism for a long time, dispensational premillennialism. Like for example, you brought up when we grew up as kids and we saw those movies in church. That was associated with just conservative Christianity. Yeah. So if you were a conservative Christian, that's what you believed. Yeah, and it was kind of a reaction against the wild allegorizing mm. and just stretching things far beyond their constraints with constraints within scripture that liberal Christians were doing at the mm. time. This was the reaction against it. And so it said, you know, we're going to take it as literally as possible whenever that's possible. Uh, my pushback would just be that whenever we do biblical hermeneutics, even dispensational uh, friends of mine, when I hear them do hermeneutics, they're recognizing the fact that there's genre, there's type, yeah, there's right. different types of writing within mm-hmm. scripture. And we weigh those things when we do that grammatical historical mm-hmm. analysis. Um, you know, when the psalmist said that the Lord owns the, what is it, the oxen on a thousand, a thousand hills, hills yeah. right. none of us are reading that and thinking, where are the, thousand where are the right. 2,000 hills? None of us are looking for Jesus to appear as a literal door or <laughs> right. as a literal vine. Yeah. Like, and right. I'm not being blasphemous, but you know what I mean? Like we recognize Certainly. there's a they type of writing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the my complaint with, with those guys is that when we take that and we apply it to eschatological passages, the same should hold true yeah. instead of trying to force kind of a, a wooden literalism mm-hmm. on those passages. Mm-hmm. And it seems um, as if it shifts, doesn't it? That's what I've always noticed is that the same guy who will preach from preach to me from John, and I'm like, brother, like hard yes and amen. Right. Is it trying to fit that? Uh, go back to something like an, an old, and, and I think it almost is that we often try to interpret the book of Revelation like we interpret the Old Testament. It's like, no, no, no. And, and by that, I mean, there's kind of like m- more of a moralistic or a, um, or like as we touch the book of Revelation, like just say exactly what it says. There's no spiritual meaning behind it. Like, so Abraham going and sacrificing Isaac, that was just a test of faith. There was nothing else there, Right. right? And then we, certainly we know that there is something more there. It's a it's a picture of the day of it. It's a picture of atonement. Mm. Um, but in in Revelation you get you get a beast and it's like it's a beast. Yeah, and right. it's going to come out yeah. of the sea. And it's going to come out of the sea, and there's going to be a dead head, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's right. how that's interpreted. And it's like, mm-hmm. is there a spiritual meaning or no? Right. And that's if and, it, and if it's no, then let's be consistent. Yeah. That's always where I kind of land. All right. So I want to catch this last one before we move into millennialism. Okay. So the postmillennialist believes that the millennium is an era, not a excuse me, is an era, not a literal thousand years during which Christ will reign over the earth, not from a literal and earthly throne, but through the gradual increase of the gospel and its power to change lives. After this gradual Christianization of the world, Christ will return and immediately usher the church into their eternal state after judging the wicked. This is called postmillennialism because by its view, Christ will return after the millennium. So a couple of points of favor, uh, excuse me, of features and distinctions. Their favored method of interpretation is covenant, historical, Israel and the church. The church is the fulfillment of Israel, kingdom of God, a spiritual entity uh, experienced on earth through the Christian uh, Christianizing effect of the gospel and the millennium, a golden age previous to Christ's second advent, during which Christ will virtually rule over the whole earth through an unprecedented spread of the gospel. The large ma- majority of people will be Christian. I want to be a post-millennialist so yeah, bad. It's, it was true. I know. You've said that before. I'm glad you brought I want that to be, up. I want to be a post-millennialist Why is it? Why so do you bad? want to be post-mill so bad? It was um, popular for a little while. That sounds really good. I don't... Yeah. Like, it's not... It's So, the danger of post-millennialism right now, and this is really just inside, like, reformedish camps. It's like, oh, well, Jeff Durbin and James White and Doug Wilson are post-mill. The, the, are they? Yeah, all of Interesting. them. James White just came out as post-mill. Yeah. He just came out as yeah. post-mill. Yeah. That's, that closet. That's silly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a phrase, man. <laughs> wow. Coming out. Um, he identifies as post Sure. Yeah. Um, but there is an optimism that I think can also be had in the amillennial camp. So yes. I, always, I always tell people that I'm an optimistic amillennialist. Yes and amen. Because post- huh? the, it's conquest. Okay, I was just about to make sure it's you conquest. were going to what the question I was. Want and it's like, I remember we were at Blake's He's mission. Like, I want to slay the enemies. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. The orange fury. It's not that. It's not that. It's it's the beauty of the conquest of life. Mm. Like, I, that's what I love. So I was at your missional community, Blake, a while back, and we were talking about this. And I remember there was a guy there who showed up for the first time, and I don't know why this happened, but it did. And so there were questions going around, and then this guy had just shown up just invited randomly. So I took a like excerpt and just said, I'm going to present the gospel really quickly to everybody just so that this guy can hear. And, um, 
And then we got to maybe the triumphal entry, maybe. Mm. And I thought about the the way that we wage war. And this is what you're you're secretly writing on this right now, Josh. It's not a secret um, anymore. Yeah, hey, sorry. Millions of listeners um, are going to know, Josh. So, <laughs> it's out there. But it's, yeah. but it's this. It's, the, it's hitting out. Twitter it's right now. This is live. It's the, it's the, it's we the, are Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> It's the church militant. Yes. And that's what I hate that we've lost. And yes. it's not it's not supposed to be gone. Like we're supposed to be a people who who live out a conquest of life, which means that we go forth wielding the sword of the spirit, proclaiming the gospel, seeing dead souls made alive by the proclamation of Jesus. And yeah, recognizing his victory. Absolutely. That's that's the whole um, you know, if the, if I think that if the church needs something, you know, and we're in 2021, we're kind of coming out of COVID, but things still look pretty bleak. I think I think if Christians need anything, any sort of encouragement yes. from eschatology, it's not what sign or portent to look for yes. next, what sort of vision that we're going to see fulfilled. It's looking at Christ when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah. You go, therefore, and make yeah. disciples. Mm-hmm. He actually has all that authority. I mean, read Psalm 110, and he says, I'm crushing my mm-hmm. enemies yeah. underfoot. Yeah. They're under my heel. If that's Jesus in the resurrection, cross and resurrection, yeah. and it is, then that means something has changed yeah. and we're actually walking in victory mm-hmm. despite what our optics tell us yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, yes yeah. and amen. And that's that's where we can have a lot of common ground with some post mill. Absolutely. And so like, so this is a weird little side note, but I get a text message the other day from a friend who's at a different, who's at a different church and their Sunday school class, the entire Sunday school class was on the Great Reset and looking at it through that dispensational premillennial lens. Mm. And so they spent the entire Sunday school class for like three months just looking the newspaper next yes, to Revelation. For three yeah. months. Yes, bro, they're just looking yes. at this. They're just looking at this. That's just fear mongering, man. I agree. And, yeah. and, but I mean, like, so that, that's like, oh, I need to quake because it's getting gloriously dark or whatever you would like to say. And it's like, no, no, no. That tells me go to war, yeah. right? Like, gear up. We're well equipped. Wield the sword. Go hard, pronounce the gospel, see soul saved. It's like it's a conquest of life. The church needs to be militant. That's all so I'm saying. You guys, you guys are from a sister church, so we've been preaching through Revelation at our church, oh, okay, um, which has been tough and 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 so good at the same time. Um, but when you watch, we've been. I, I keep trying to kind of reiterate this, like when you watch Fox News, Fox, or, you know, CNN, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. your news source is, MSNBC. I hope not, but you know, whatever news source you choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, they keep you watching because they have people wrapped up in fear yeah. and nervousness yeah. and anxiety. Yeah. They feed on that. Yeah. Quite, quite, I mean, yeah. that's just a, a fact of the news networks. Mm. If you're reading Revelation like that, you're reading it wrong. Agree. You cannot read Revelation. If you read it and you don't come away with a triumphant lamb yeah. who has crushed all enemies mm. and is being vindicated in cosmic scale, mm. you're reading your Bible wrong. I want to mm. preach Revelation next. I'm telling you, this should be. This is why John, as a yeah. staggering old man who'd been boiled and beaten on a slave labor island writes to churches in persecution and says be encouraged it's Mm. not a letter about looking at the newspapers and wondering what rome's going to do next Mm. it's about christ indeed that's Sorry, good. I got up on a soapbox there a little no, bit. Like, we like, we <laughs> no, like soapboxes here. We need to get We're riled up a little bit later. It'll <laughs> be good. So, I, so a while back, this is going back to this, Beth and I were reading through Revelation together, and I don't know why this is like, there's a couple of things that Beth and I have read through together that I think have just made a lasting impact on me. And as we're finishing the book, Beth said, there's literally nothing terrifying in that book except the lamb. Yeah. It's yeah. like he is he Man. is the reigning mm. king. If there's anything to tremble before, it's mm. him. Mm. And I was like, I'm taking that to the bank. Yep. Like carrying I'll, that I'll with me. I'll quote you for... later, but not give you credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I gave credit. 
No, yeah, I'm saying, but like in 2027, when we finish running, <laughs> we're preaching through Revelation. Or I make you a t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I, millennialists, believe that the kingdom of God was inaugurated at Christ's resurrection. Yeah. Hence the term inaugurated millennialism, at which point he gained victory over both Satan and the cursed. Uh, Christ is even now reigning, hence the term, I don't even know how to pronounce that. No. Nuts millennialism? Nuts means now? Nunc. You familiar with that? Nunc. No, sounds German. Is that Latin? I, I must be Latin. Hmm. And so he is now at the right hand of the Father over his church. After this present age has ended, Christ will return and immediately usher the church into the, their eternal state after judging the wicked. The term amillennialism is actually a misnomer for it implies that Revelation 21 through 6 is ignored. In fact, the amillennialist hermeneutic interprets it, and in fact, much of apocalyptic literature uh, interprets it non-literally. Features and distinctions are as follows. Favored, uh, favored method of interpretation is redemptive historical. Uh, as it relates to Israel and the church, the church is the eschatological fulfillment of Israel, the kingdom of God, a spiritual reality that all Christians partake in and that is seen presently by faith but will be grasped by sight at the consummation. The rapture, the saints living in the dead shall meet the Lord in the clouds and immediately proceed to, the, to judge the nations with Christ and then follow him into their eternal state. And then finally, the millennium, inaugurated with Christ's resurrection in an already not yet since. Christ already reigns over all and is already victorious over Satan. Yes, all of this. There's one thing that I want to hit, Just or I'm, let me rephrase, there's one thing I'm going to ask Josh to hit is the um the it's often charged that um that amillennialist or uh maybe even postmillennialist would would say that we replace Israel right do you hold to a replacement theology or would you yeah. say it's a bit different no yeah it's different and, and we man we've talked about this as well, you know, among our staff and among our church. I, I'm sure preaching through Revelation right now, I mean. Yeah, it, yeah. it comes up. So, the yeah, like you said, the charge that's levied is that, like, well, God got tired of Israel, and so he, you mm -hmm. know, substituted in the church. And some people even, you know, go to certain passages that um, that talk about branches being trimmed and stuff and say, well, that's what, that's what you must believe in. I've never met that guy. So I'm sure there's a guy out either. there that believes in replacement theology. I've just never met him. Um, in my experience, that's just used as kind of vitriol. That's just yeah. kind of an attack levied against mm -hmm. people that that believe that. Um, what what amillennialism would hold, and and I think the same could be said for for most strands of covenant theology and, and progressive covenantalism, is the fact that Israel and the church represent a continuous people of God, um, one people of God through Old and New Testament united under Christ. Um, I think the only disagreements that we would run into is how different are those people in the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. And that's mm -hmm. where you might see a little bit of just a little bit of nuance between like Baptists, for example, and Presbyterians. They yeah. may see far more continuity. We may see a little bit of a a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of a pinnacle in yeah. Christ that makes those those relationships different. Yeah, but fair. So what did most uh, of the reformers, what viewpoint did they hold to? What's so of those eschatological views? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's so the the, the it, it, it depends on who you ask, I guess. Because if you if you ask, you doctor, yeah, <laughs> we've asked you. All right, the final authority. We're yes. gonna close the case. We do this often on this podcast. We've solved we, a lot of we issues tie here. pretty little bows on problems that have raged for decades. <laughs> well, good centuries. Well, they were centuries. <laughs> they were clearly all milk because yes. all milk. No, they. I mean, up until like I think what was it the eighteen hundreds. 
the late 1800s, amillennialism wasn't a phrase that was commonly used. Yeah. Um, we would have just been called post-millennial. Mm. So if they looked at, at one of us who says that we're amillennial, they would have described us as a post-millennial who's kind of negative post-millennial. Mm. You just don't think things are going to pan out quite yeah. as well. Um, so most of the reformers, number one, most of the reformers didn't write an abundance on eschatology they because yeah. they had some far bigger battles that they were fighting in the church at that time, mm. um, or far different, I guess I yeah. should say, battles that they were fighting. Uh, but no, most of them would have fallen under post-millennial slash amillennial, depending on how you dice it up. So I would still say though that the clearest guy in Christian history is Augustine, and he was amillennial. Yeah. So that should that should hold a little bit of a little, little bit wire. of mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Martin Luther, as he as he looked at um, Israel, right? Didn't he grow angry with the lack of like yes. fruit that was being developed? You know, that it was being uh, just the fruit that was born in the nation, and so. Did he, I mean, did he evolve over time, I guess, with his distinction where, I mean, was he, is he an example of kind of a negative replacement theology where he took the church and then he totally replaced Israel and said Israel was totally, and in fact, completely hardened off and should be wiped from the planet? I mean, wasn't that really, I mean, isn't that really ultimately where he arrived at? Hey everyone, it's Jiffy Mix here. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit of a two-parter. Uh, sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger, but this one's uh, this recording was uh, a long one. So uh, tune in next week, and uh, yeah, um, see y'all then.